0: We're going to read God's Word together here in just a second. And today we are in part three of this series called A Fight for the Altar. And the main character here in this account is a, is a guy named Gideon that God wants to use to bring about not just a physical change of, of the rescuing the Israelites from the hands of the Midianites and the Amalekites... But primarily, first and foremost, he's calling Gideon to a spiritual battle, and that battle is against the spirit of Baal that was the predominant oppressing spirit over that region and over the the, the cultures around Israel, and then it had been beginning to oppress Israel because they had allowed it. And so as we're going to read this passage here in Judges chapter 6, when, it, when you hear about the altar of Baal, just keep that in mind. That this is the pervasive, wicked, evil spirit that is dominating them. And it, you're also going to hear about the Asherah pole, which also represents another wicked, evil deity. And so we're going to read together in Judges chapter 6. We're going to start in 25 and 26. I'm going to invite you to read aloud with me as we honor God's word. That night, the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd the one that is seven years old. Pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Then build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary. Laying the stones carefully, sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. You can be seated. So just to, to give you uh, just some further recap, uh, this is week three, and we've talked about this quite a bit, but maybe you haven't been here, and I don't want you to be lost. Or also, maybe you just slept since then, and you have just kind of like, now what's going on? We've, we've been looking at this account of Gideon in Judges chapter 6, and his story continues through chapter 7 and 8, but we haven't really got to that place in the story just yet. Um, The Israelites, they had been living in the territory and in the region that God had promised to their ancestors. Uh, Like the Bible term for this is the promised land. So if you hear that, the promised land, that's what it's referring to. This specific area and region and territory. And this is still the area in which Israel sits on today and they are still at battle uh, for in, in different parts like the Gaza Strip they're still at battle for parts of these regions that God had promised to his people and and they're living there and God delivered their enemies to them when they first arrived but instead of living faithful to the Lord instead of living devoted in their worship to the Lord they got fat and sassy And they forgot the goodness of God. And they stopped raising their kids to love and serve the Lord. And they allowed the godless cultures, uh, uh, the the, the godless influence, the cultures to influence them. The ones that are, the, the nations around them were influencing them. So over a course of a few generations, we see this digression in Israel's devotion to the Lord So now they're living in rebellion to God because of that. Do they still have altars of the Lord? Yes, but they also have the altar of Baal and the Asherah pole. And God said, I'll have no other gods before me. So even just a speck of worship to another god or idol is rebellion to God. And now that they're in rebellion, they're not not living in this positioned place under God's authority and under the blessings of God. And so one of the things that we learned from this last week is that today's priorities impact tomorrow's generations, right? That's why it's important for you to instill into your children a love for Jesus and his church so that they will do it to their children and they will do it to their children. But if you go half-hearted at this today then, and your children go half-hearted from the half-heartedness that you got, just three or four generations, just expect your great-grandchildren to not know anything about the goodness of God. Just expect your great-grandchildren to not be devoted to the Lord and to his church. This is what happened to Israel This is what we see happening in much of America today, whose grandparents and great-grandparents once served the Lord, but now their grandchildren and great-grandchildren know nothing of Him. Today's priorities impact tomorrow's generations. So for seven years, they'd been living under the oppression of the Midianites and Amalekites. It was no longer a time of prosperity, but it was a time of poverty. So they began to cry out to the Lord and they began to pray, God save us. So the Lord sent them a prophet and the prophet told them, hey, this is why you're experiencing the oppression that you're experienced. Because you've walked away from the Lord. You've allowed uh, unclean and evil and wicked spirits to come in and be part of your life, and then God sends the angel of the Lord, and He sends it to the angel of the Lord. It comes to this wuss of a guy named Gideon. He just he was that's who he was. But instead of the angel of the Lord saying, "Dude, you are weak sauce," he started. <laughs> He started proclaiming over him God's identity and God's destiny over him. Instead of saying, dude, stop being so weak. Stop being such a wimp. Go and pump some iron. (laughs) He said, no, you're a mighty man of valor. You're a mighty warrior and hero. Go in the strength that you have. I will be with the Lord will be with you so that when you fight the Midianites it'll be like you're just fighting one man. That's what the angel of the Lord came and began speaking over Gideon. So he's calling him towards courageous leadership to lead the Israelites. And here's the deal, the first thing that the, the Lord instructed Gideon to do was not gather the army. That wasn't the first thing the first thing that the Lord told Gideon to do was tear down the altar of Baal and the Asherah pole. Why? Because the the primary fight wasn't in the natural, physical realm. The primary fight was in the spiritual realm. It was in the unseen places. It had to do with the wicked, evil spirits that were being allowed to oppress the people. And God said come out of agreement and come break any kind of allegiance that you have with these wicked spirits and turn your heart to me once again. That's what this whole thing was all about of tearing down the altar of Baal. It was a spiritual stronghold that this wicked, evil spirit of Baal had over the Israelites. And they thought, oh, we can worship God and we can worship Baal. But God said, I'll have no other gods before me. And when you give the spirit of this age a foothold, it's not satisfied until it has a stronghold. And that's what happened to the Israelites, and that's what's happening in the hour in which we're living in today. And I see this, and I'm heartbroken by this, to see this in the lives of so many people in the church. I don't mean just this church, I mean the American church. Yes, there are some people that are supposed to be part of this Seeds Church family. But they again, they've allowed the enemy to come and get a foothold. And now the enemy is building a stronghold in their life, and it's heartbreaking. And it's time we tear down the altars of Baal. It's time. The same spirit of Baal that was at work in Judges chapter 6 is the same spirit that's at work today. And it's time for us to recognize that if we're going to be fully devoted to Jesus and lay hold of all the good works that he has already prepared for us, right? Then we've got to identify the altars of Baal, tear them down, and build the altar of the Lord in our hearts and in our homes and in this church. And just like Gideon, God's answer is calling us toward courageous leadership you might feel like Gideon you might feel like spiritually you have puny little arms but God is calling you out to courageous leadership and it doesn't matter what the reality is today God's destiny for you is saying come come on I got a mission for you let's go let's go tear down the altar of Baal we tear down the altar of Baal and in its place so that it cannot be rebuilt, we build the altar of the Lord. And if we're going to do that, it's going to take three things. And that's what I want to talk about today. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now and we ask you to help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying. God, we want to be a people who respond to you in this day and hour with courageous leadership. God, we don't want to be picked off by the enemy. Lord, I, I, I think about the parable of, of the, the sower sowing the word. God, we want our hearts to be good soil. We don't want our hearts to be hardened uh, like, like, the, like the path dirt where the enemy can come and just steal the word immediately from us as soon as we hear it. God, we don't want to our heart to be like that of the of the thorny soil, God, where the cares of this world come and choke out what it is that you're doing. God, we don't want to be like the stony ground where we receive what it is that you have to say gladly, but then we we we're we're, we're quickly we're tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. We, we we're distracted by every shiny object. So God, we desire for you to make our hearts good soil so that we receive your word and it would take root and it would grow and it would bear much fruit. Do that in our lives today. Make us into courageous leaders. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen? In order to tear down the altar of Baal, the first thing we've got to do is to contend for the faith. Can everybody say that with me? Contend for the faith. Say it again. Contend for the faith. Listen, I know we're talking about deconstructing the altar of Baal. I get that. But can I tell you, I, I, I'm excited about that. I'm excited about tearing the, down the altar of Baal I'm and deconstructing it. But what I'm tired of is hearing believers deconstructing their faith. There are things that need to be deconstructed in our life, but it is not your faith. It's allegiance with wicked, evil spirits. I'm tired of hearing so-called Christians, you know, say, well, this, this Christian leader over here they deconstructed their faith. And this family member of mine over here, they deconstructed their faith. Or this friend of mine, you know, they've deconstructed their faith. And you know what, JD? They're, they're okay. They're, they're like more at peace now than ever before. They're really okay. They're really happy. No, they're not. <laughs> they're not okay. They're not happy. What has happened is that instead of wrestling with the faith, like Jacob wrestled with God, what they've decided is to leave the mat and walk out the door altogether. Why? Because they are they, they don't like being faced with the tension between gratifying their own flesh or Or seeing the hypocrisy of other Christians gratify their own flesh. They don't like the tension between that and submitting themselves to the process of the Holy Spirit's work of sanctification in their life. Which requires change. Sanctification is the Bible term for the Holy Spirit molding you into the image and likeness of Christ. And I don't like this tension, so it's easy for me to deconstruct my faith. They're not okay. They're just tired of being confronted with the Holy Spirit saying, Come on. Come on. But J.D., they seem so happy now. So? So? There's a lot of seemingly happy people that are on their way to hell right now. It's heartbreaking. There's a lot of seemingly happy people right now that are on a path to destruction that leads to hell. There's a lot of happy apostates. But they will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. I'd say that a lower level of this But it it still could lead you in the same direction. It could lead you down the same path towards the same destination. Toward apostasy is lukewarmness. What Jesus said in the book of Revelation, he says, You've neither been hot nor cold, meaning that you've not been useful to me. It's not that God, Jesus, wants you to, like, you know, be cold against him. But if we read this in context, we understand when Jesus said, you've not been hot or cold. You're like water that's lukewarm and I spew you out of my mouth because you're disgusting. And so this is where you're not fully engaged with God. You're just kind of got things on cruise control. You're not fully engaged with his church. You're not, you know, serving You're not involved in a life group. You're not giving. You're not contributing to the kingdom of God in any way. That's what lukewarmness looks like. Will you absolutely become apostate? I'm not saying that you will, but I've seen people do it. I've seen that be part of their journey and completely walk away from the faith. But regardless of whether or not you go all the way and walk away from the faith and deconstruct your faith... Uh, Jesus said that he doesn't like lukewarmness. Like it's disgusting to him. How many of you don't want to be disgusting to Jesus? (laughs) All right, I'm hopefully every hand in the room. Another level of this is what I call being spiritually ungovernable. This is when people walk out from underneath the authority. the spiritual authorities that God has placed in their life. And for one reason or another, you know, they might leave the church because they didn't get their way. You know, they didn't get picked for to be lead this ministry or they had a vision for something over here and it didn't, you know, line up or it didn't materialize fast enough for them and so well I'm just going to leave. I'm going to go somewhere else. I didn't get in my way. Some people leave Uh, because they have unforgiveness or bitterness or resentment in their heart for one reason or another. Maybe uh, they think that the problem that they're wrestling with is really everyone else's issue, but they refuse to acknowledge and address the log in their own eye. Some people leave because of unbalanced theology. You know, what's being taught, you know, the, the... the, the word of God that's being taught doesn't jive with the best life that they want to live, their version of it. Maybe people leave because they are just being enticed by listening to outside voices that have really no spiritual authority over them. So instead of these people submitting to the word of God, instead of them submitting to the real, true leadership of the Holy Spirit, and the spiritual authority that God has placed over them in the church, the the, the churches that God intentionally planted them in, they leave the church. The ones that God called them to, and some of them, they start their own thing. They're not called by God to start it. They weren't commissioned by their church leadership to do it. They just do it because they want to be spiritually ungovernable. Because then nobody can tell them nobody can, that nobody has to be in authority over them, and they don't have to submit to any authority. Maybe they start their own thing. Or maybe they just church hop from one place to another. Or maybe they go to a great big church and hide in a mega church. And listen... I'm not personally against big churches. I'm not against mega churches. I'm not against large churches. I've been on staff at a couple of them. And having been on staff and in leadership at some really large churches, I know that one of the cruxes of large church situations and scenarios is that you can think that you're being spiritually dutiful. You can, like, you know, you can just, like, it's like a self soothing kind of like I did my spiritual duty just because I showed up. But no one knows your name and no one in leadership knows you and you're not having to truly be confronted by the people of God to submit to the process of sanctification. And, and it, it, Or maybe they don't go hide in a big church. Maybe what they do is, is they go, well, I'm just going to do church online. And in each one of these scenarios, they never have to be confronted with any real tension to be changed in their heart, in their mind, in their body, in their beliefs, in their actions. And what happens is that they become spiritually ungovernable. And the kingdom of God is not a free-for-all where you just get to do whatever it is that you want to do. You've got to be submitted to authority. That's one of the reasons why the Israelites were under the oppression of the spirit of Baal and they were under the oppression of the Midianites and the Amalekites because they had come out from underneath the authority of God and said, no, we want to submit to the authority of Baal. They didn't want to be governed by the Lord. And when it comes to people saying and doing these things that don't align with biblical theology, that they don't align with spiritual wisdom, it doesn't align with godly counsel, it doesn't align with the spiritual authority that God wanted uh, for them to be submitted to, or maybe even for some people, it's really, it's not cloaked in anything. It's just blatant sin for some people. They're just like, you know, it's, it's my time to just... Go and do my thing. And and if they're, they're doing all these things and they do anything to justify what it is that they're saying and they're doing, and they say something like, well, God told me, and then fill in the blank. First of all, I have to say this. If you say that God told you such and such, you better be awfully... Sure, 1,000% over and over and over that you heard from the Lord. It would be a lot better for us if we would say, I think possibly that I'm discerning this from the Lord. That would be a far better way to say that. Because as soon as you have the words come out of your mouth, well, God told me X, Y, Z, then I can't bring any kind of spiritual wisdom or counsel to you because you've already made up your mind, while well, I've heard God on some foolish thing that you've decided to do. And if you're, if you're saying that, God told me, fill in the blank, whatever that is, to justify, again, what you're saying and doing and what you're saying and doing, it doesn't line up with the scripture, it doesn't line up with spiritual authority, it doesn't line up with godly wisdom and counsel, then, then you've become Unteachable. So if you you engage with somebody like that, and they seem unteachable and ungovernable, then I'm going to encourage you, and let me say this, like, I want to encourage you. That's such a light language. Like, seriously, I'm telling you, limit your time with these people. Why? Because you don't want to come under the influence of being spiritually ungovernable yourself in your own heart or your own family. That's what we see happen in the book of Judges. The Israelites got around the Midianites and the Amalekites and, like, oh, you guys love Baal? What's that like? Why do we worship him? Why are we doing things that way? I, I guess we could try that out. And then look what happens to them. And I want to say this I am so proud of the godly men that God is raising up in this church that are protecting their families by getting under the authorities that God has placed over them. What what I have found out in my own life is is that when I'm following Jesus and I'm under the authority of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and the church, it is so much easier for the rest of my family to follow Jesus too. Is it perfect all the time? No, no. But it is the best way. Will the enemy not like it and resist you? Yeah, absolutely. But what's the, what's the other option? Come out from underneath the, the, uh, the umbrella of God's authority and then be expose yourself to the elements that the enemy is trying to attack you with? No, I want to stay under God's authority. It's the protected place. And when I'm doing that, it's so much easier for my family to follow me and to follow Jesus but JD how will how will they change if I don't minister to them? hey you've tried others have tried others have tried to show them in the word of God others have tried you have tried to show them godly wisdom and counsel pa- pastors and spiritual leaders have that 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 have good track records, have tried to sit down with them and guide them. But yet they're still sticking to their guns. So walk away. It's not your responsibility. It's not your responsibility to change them. You planted a seed. You watered a seed. You watered the seed of God's word, of wisdom, of counsel. Now time will tell. If their heart is good soil, let God deal with them. So I'm tired of hearing about people's faith deconstructing. But I'm excited to talk about the deconstructing of the altar of Baal. I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I'm excited about exposing the wicked, evil spirits that are at work And show the weakness and the fallacy of it. And it begins with you and I responding to the call of God to be courageous leaders who are willing to contend for the faith. Listen, at Seeds Church, we teach the word of God unashamedly. And you need to be a student of it too. It is not just enough for you to come and sit here on a Sunday morning and hear me tell you what God's word says. You need to know, you need to have firsthand experience with the word of God. You need to have firsthand experience in the place of prayer. You need to have firsthand experience submitting your life to the Holy Spirit's process of sanctification. You cannot be sanctified through my journey. Now, are we on the journey together? Yes, we are on the journey together with arms linked, going after Jesus wholeheartedly. But there's things that are going on in your heart and your life that I cannot do for you. I can encourage you. I can share with you what God's word says. But you need to be a student of God's word. You need to love it yourself. You need to eat it up yourself. And, and, and when we study God's word, it can't be through the lens that oh man, this stuff—it's—it's it's just so inspiring and self-helpful and positive and, and encouraging message for the whole, safe for the whole family. <laughs> I'm not—I'm not—I'm not bashing the radio. I'm just. This is just. Thank God for His word to help me live my best life. We can't go through the scriptures with an exacto knife and say, ooh, I love this passage in Philippians right here. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That would look really good as, uh, on my car, on a bumper sticker on, on the back of my car. That would re- look really good printed on my soccer team's t-shirts and then not talk about it in context. Where when Paul wrote that, he was a prisoner of Rome. And, and all the people that he had, had trained up in the Lord, they were gone. And he had to write to Timothy and to Titus, and he said, Hey, come visit me, because I'm freezing to death. Bring that cloak of mine. Bring that war, the winter coat of mine. Bring the scrolls for me. Bring some food to me. Not just like, oh man, we're going to score three goals today. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can can endure this circumstance because of what Jesus did. Who endured the cross. Because the hope that was set before him. Which was our salvation, yours and mine. And whatever the enemy throws at me, I can endure it. I can do anything through the power that I find in following Jesus. Paul, Roman prisoner, writing these things, freezing to death, starving to death, has all this spiritual wisdom that the Holy Spirit's downloading to him. That He's like, I've got to get this out. I've got to write these letters. What does he say? Count it all joy, brethren. Count it all joy. Rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. What is that? That's courageous leadership. That's courage. We have to contend for the faith, and we have to stop letting TikTok theologians train our young people, uh, uh, falsely teaching them what the Bible says about specific issues that maybe we've danced around or we've not wanted to address. I don't really want to talk about gender and sexuality in church. I just want to stick to the Bible. (laughs) You think the Bible doesn't talk about gender and sexuality? This is the very beginning, in the beginning, in God's created order, He made them male and female. You think God's up in heaven going, Wow, I never saw any of this coming. well, I don't know. I guess this is okay. All right, I guess we'll go with this. Of course not. To say that God's word doesn't address these issues of our day is, is a deceived standpoint. You're either, some people, deceived unknowingly. But for people who have been believers, many of them who have decided to say, well, the Bible doesn't really say that, or this is what it really meant. You're, some of them are walking in deception willfully. Woo. The reason why a generation is messed up and confused is because we've syncretized our devotion to Yahweh with our devotion to the spirit of Baal. We've allowed the spirit of the Midianites and the Amalekites to come and steal our inheritance. And instead of courageously standing up to disciple our sons and daughters, we've allowed other voices to disciple them. We, we said this a few weeks ago in our series, Here to Worship. Uh, this was a kind of a common thread, and it was that everyone worships something, right? Every human being worships something or worships someone. The same is true when it comes to being a disciple everyone is a disciple of something or someone the question is is who are they a disciple unto your children your grandchildren you are being discipled the question is is by who by what if it is not on purpose being discipled unto Jesus then by default there's like it's it's just one of two things it's just one team or the other team there's not this is not a spectrum if you are not being discipled unto Jesus then the other option is is that you are being discipled of the spirit of the sage for the last 3 decades the american church we've tried to entice people to come and be disciples of Jesus by trying to convince the world that we're cool enough. We've tried to, to, to build in an environments and programs and events to convince people who are lost to just come and feel comfortable. Hey, come to our worship service. Our music is just as cool as that show that you went to see at the Ryman on Saturday night. Hey, I'm not against going to the show at the Ryman on Saturday night. But I'm telling you, when last concert that I went to a few weeks ago, I said, I told you guys this. That there was a spirit of worship there, but it was not the spirit of worship to Jesus. It was a spirit of worship to Kenny Loggins. It was a great concert. I enjoyed it. I wasn't worshiping Kenny, but there were people there who were. Who lifted their hands just like we would in our worship service. Who were emotionally moved. Who, who spent their hard-earned money and time to be there. What was all that? It was ascribing worth to Kenny Loggins. Nothing against Kenny. Kenny. Okay, I like Kenny. I don't know if he's a believer. I pray that he follows Jesus someday. But our discipleship strategy is not to try to convince the world that we're cool enough to come and follow Jesus. Come listen to the message. It's really good. It's just as good as that self-help podcast that you listen to. Look at all these nice verses in the Bible that we're reading here. Pastor's message this week is 10 keys to happiness. Live your best life now. Chicken soup for the soul, fortune cookie theology. What about the verses like Matthew 16, 24? Come and follow me, deny yourself. Follow me. It will cost you your life. And so we have a lot of people who try Jesus out, but when it doesn't meet their, their false hope and expectations, then they bail because they were sold a false bill of goods. When what Jesus is really calling to us is courageous leadership, not just some kind of flowery roses and rainbows kind of walk. This is not for the faint of heart. We were talking about this at Life Group on Friday night. Wide is the path to destruction. Narrow is the road to the gate. Oh, I don't know if that'll draw people in, JD. I didn't think that was our responsibility thought that was the Holy Spirit's responsibility. We've handicapped an entire generation only by giving them bits and pieces of the full counsel of Scripture. And you know what? You open this thing up and thank God from beginning to end, it's redemptive. I'm not throwing stones at anybody out there. I need to be saved just as much as anybody else in this world. And I'm telling you what, the same grace that saved me is the same grace that sustains me. And I need this just as much as anybody else in this world. So as we're tearing down the altars of Baal, the first thing that we've got to do is contend for the faith. The second thing that we have to do is expose the works of darkness. So what do we have to do? We deconstruct the altar of Baal, stone by Stone. When you see a work of darkness, do not be silent. I've come to learn this principle recently. It's not something that's not like the first time I've ever heard of it, but it's the first time that I feel like it's really taking root in my life. And the principle is, is that to be quiet on an issue, to be silent on an issue, makes the cost of speaking go up higher. Think about it in our culture and how this has played out into the world over the last three years. But when you speak up, it makes the cost of speaking go down. The cost isn't as high, and it makes it available for everyone. When you see a work of darkness, speak up about it. Say, call it what it is. Because the lie of the enemy that's pervading in this culture will destroy your life and it will destroy your family. That's what it wants to do. It wants to do everything it can to separate you from the love of God. Now, thank God, when we really know the love of God, nothing can separate it. But the enemy's going to try. So what do we do? How do we help people? Oh, man. Thank you for sharing your story with me. Can I can I share with you a testimony of somebody who was delivered from that lifestyle? Can I share with you a, a, a testimony of someone that was set free from that addiction? Can I introduce you to the Holy Spirit who will breathe life into your dead spirit? Here's the spirit of Baal. Here's a subtle lie. That the church has believed over the past, I'd say two decades, maybe longer, but here it is. The Holy Spirit can transform anybody's life unless you're gay. If you're an addict, Jesus can set you free. If you're a liar, Jesus can bring truth and he can change you. If you're an alcoholic, Jesus can transform you. If you're sexually promiscuous, Jesus can bring you sexual purity. He can bring you new purity. But if you struggle with same-sex attraction or if you struggle with your sexual identity, I'm just hoping for the best for you. That's kind of been the church's position. Unfortunately, and it's not right, and it's not biblical, and it's not what God's called us to. How have we believed that we have to be silent on these issues? The truth is is that Jesus stands and he says that every drop of blood on the cross (laughs) is greater than any largest lie of the enemy. I save unto the uttermost. Listen, we're not here we're not we're not here to condemn. We're here to to set free, people free, right? We're here to walk with people towards freedom, to disciple them, to offer grace. But instead, much of the church has hidden and run off to the hills and hidden in caves. And now that much of the church is under oppression, and they've surrendered to the lives of this culture as well. And without realizing it, the American church has come under the influence of the spirit of Baal. Why? Because they didn't contend for the faith. They weren't willing to speak and expose the works of darkness. Listen, I mentioned this last week. There's whole denominations who have instead of responding to God's call to be courageous leaders in this hour and operate in the power of the Holy Spirit, they were bowing to the spirit of Baal and changing their theology. And they said, well, I guess we're just going to write off this part of the Bible. We're just going to tear that out. And that's not really what that meant there. I know that's what it says in context, but uh, we're going we're gonna to figure out a different way to say that. And, and here's the domino effect. Well, if this part isn't the true and inspired word of God, then I guess there's a lot of liberty here. And if this isn't, that part isn't the true and inspired word of God, then what in here is the true and inspired word of God? And why am I even reading this or believing this? What are we doing here? What are we even doing with this? What am I doing with this? Well, the reason I'm here is not because it was a career path I chose. It's because I met Jesus at an altar, and he healed my heart, and he liberated me, and he called me to be a voice to this generation. He restored me. And he filled me with the Holy Spirit, and that reality isn't just for me. It can be true for every single person in this room, every single person in your family, every single one of your friends, every single person in Middle Tennessee. So we we got to contend for the faith. We have to expose the work of darkness. And if we're going to tear down the altar of Baal, the third thing is this, is we have to destroy the strongholds of the enemy. Where the enemy often begins to build strongholds is in people's way of thinking. It's in their mindsets. It's in their belief systems and then in their subconscious. So they grab a hold of a spiritual lie. They come into agreement with that lie, and then they believe that the lie is a truth. I want to read to you what what Paul wrote in his second letter to the Corinthian church, chapter 10, verse 3. Paul said, We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Talking about Teaching the rebellious thoughts to obey Christ. And and after you have become fully obedient, this is a part of this passage that does not get read very often. We will punish everyone who remains disobedient. Who will? The people that God has placed in spiritual authority authority, the church, church leaders. Keep reading, verse 7. Look at the obvious facts. Those who say they belong to Christ must recognize that we belong to Christ as much as they do. Paul says, hey, it might seem like I'm boasting a lot about this authority that God's given to me. But the authority is to build you up, not tear you down. The authority is to help you walk in freedom, not under a spirit of bondage. Not trying to, to control anybody. We're trying to help you. So I'm not going to be ashamed of using my authority. This is what it means to deconstruct the altar of Baal. So God gives Gideon this mandate to tear down the altar of Baal. But what if all Gideon had done was just deconstruct the altar and then he left it at that? Wouldn't have been enough. Man, we we just tore this sucker down and now we got a big dirt patch right here in the yard. What are we going to do here? No, it wouldn't have been enough. The full mandate from God was to tear down the altar of Baal and replace it. God said, In the place of the stronghold, I want you to build an altar to the Lord. And and what is an altar? An altar is defined as like this elevated or raised place of, of, of worship to God. It's a sacred place. It's where the supernatural presence of God meets the people of God. So when we say this year we're going after making our homes an altar, this is what we're talking about here. We're talking about making our homes and our hearts a place on which worship is offered and our homes be a sacred place. Listen, and I'm not, I don't mean that your, your home needs to be like a monastery and you need to walk around like a monk and just, you know, and, you know, and chanting and, you know, and walking in silence around everyone. That's not what I'm saying. You can have a sacred space and a fun space and they can be the same place. You can have a, a sacred space and a, and a life-giving and full of energy place at the same time. And then sometimes sacred space does mean we're just going to be quiet before the Lord right now because we need to hear from him and not outside voices and not the voice in my own head. And we want to make our homes this supernatural place where the presence of God meets us. Our homes, your home. Where heaven and earth intersect. It's where we pray and we worship in God comes and makes himself known. He comes and dwells. He comes and rests. He comes and lives in your home. That's why God has called Siege Church to make every home an altar this year. This is what he desires. This is what he wants. We've been saying this all year long. We're gonna keep saying it. God comes where he's wanted. So, are you making your home a place that looks like where God would want to come and dwell? Judges chapter 6, verse 26. Build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here with the stones laid in due order. It means God's way, not my way. Due order means your way of doing things, God, not my way of doing things. Not my neighbor's way, not my kid's teacher's way, not what I see in the news, not their way, not where I see on social media, not that way. Your way, God. The altar of the Lord is, is putting the presence of God back at the center of your home, back at the center of Jesus's church. And how does it, what does this look like? Practically it manifests in like thanking God and thanksgiving in adoration and exaltation and in intercession and in prayer. Back at the center of your home, back at the center of the church. What the Lord is trying to say to Gideon was, the way that you are going to prepare your army to defeat the enemy is to first deconstruct the altar of Baal and come out of allegiance with the wicked evil spirits that have influenced you and oppressed you and fully submit and surrender yourself to me. Build the altar of the Lord within the people. That's how you prepare your army, Gideon. You don't, you're not, your job, your first job is to not go Come on, guys, get together. No, the first job is let's tear this thing apart and build something for the Lord, for him to come and dwell. Step one. It's not enough for you to just know what it is that you're against. You have to reprioritize what you are for. Remember, today's priorities impact tomorrow's generations. You can say no to a thousand things but unless you say yes to the one thing it's incomplete. When when a generation what, what they need to see is is a church with their eyes fully on Jesus. And when I say fully on Jesus I don't mean just like, "Well, yeah, we believe in Jesus." Yeah. No, no, no. What I mean is is like like the presence of God. That like our eyes are on the Tangible, manifest presence of God, of being, that is the primary importance. And when we come together, it's about Him. And when it's in your home, it's about Him. And when you're by yourself, it's about Him. And when we worship, it's about Him. If we just spend our time and only pour our lives in our own strength, and our own striving to raise our families. Remember I told you guys this last week. Listen, you can try to introduce just Christian values into your family, and your life will improve, but it will not change anything about your eternal destiny. You've got to know the Christ of the Christian values. And if all we're trying to do is just do this in our own strength, raising our families, building this church, then it's like we are Gideon in the wine press with our bit of wheat. It's time that we put our eyes fully back on him and welcome him to be enthroned on our praises and be a praying church, to to see the altar of the Lord as the place of prayer, as the place where... Courage fills our hearts. Guys, I can tell you every single time that I, my soul feels downcast and I go to the place of prayer, I feel courage come. What is that? That's me coming to the altar surrendering my will to the will of God, saying, God, I want your presence and I want your way here. So I've come to you in this place of prayer. My soul is downcast. I'm having a hard time with this right now. I can't believe I just did that. I can't believe that, that person did that to me. God, I can't believe my kids are doing that. But I come and I say, God, I surrender this to you. And every single time, courage comes. God's calling you to courageous leadership. But you cannot do it if you still have the altar of Baal. And you cannot do it if you have not torn that down. And you cannot do it if you've not constructed the altar of the Lord. It's time to make God's presence the primary thing. It's time to remove the impurities, to remove the syncretism, to remove the accommodations. And it's time to rebuild the altar of corporate prayer so we can be an army of courageous saints. That's what the Lord was doing. Gideon, you want to prepare your army? You got to tear down the altar of Baal and build an altar to me so that my presence can come and dwell. It's Father's Day. Men, you want to see God move in your family? We all, we want to see God move in this church. Then it's time we start praying together. We do it every Wednesday night, nearly, right here in this room at 7 p.m. God's here to meet with us. Where are you? Listen, syncretism shows up because we take worship and prayer and we make it about us. The vision isn't about what you want. It's about what he wants. It's not about just having a family that prays. It's about being a praying family. It's not just about a church that prays. It's about being a praying church. It's that we would prioritize the presence of God, that our worship isn't based on the presence of the people that might be sitting in the seats, but it would be based on the preference of the one who we're worshiping, that we wouldn't have services that are crafted, well, well I know so-and-so is going to be here, and so we need to craft, you know, they're going to be here, so we got to be careful about this, that. No, we're not crafting services and our worship and our messages for specific people. We're crafting them to the one who's enthroned on our praises because he's worthy. Let's pray. Would you stand with me as we pray? Oh, God, we need you. We want you. God, you come where you're wanted, so we say we want you here. We desire you. We need courageous leadership, God. We need your Holy Spirit to bring us courage. God, like Gideon, we might not see ourselves as courageous leaders just yet, but we are not going to run away and we're just going to give you our yeses. And God, even as we take baby steps of courage, God, and just obedience to you, we thank you that you are making a way, that you have a plan, that you have a destiny. You're wanting us to tear down the altar of Baal. God, give us the courage to do it. Give us the insight to know what that looks like in our lives. In our in our own homes, God, where we would not be deceived and say, well, I don't have any altar of Baal in my home. But God, I'd pray that you would open our eyes, Holy Spirit, to see what is that in our home, and God, that we would come out of, uh, we would, like, say, God... I don't give my affections to that anymore. I don't give my desire to that anymore. God, I'm going to cancel that subscription. God, I'm going to change this hat, this pattern or this habit or this rhythm in my life. God, we're not going to be involved. We're going to give less time to that, God. Not because that thing is wicked or evil, but because I've elevated it above you, God. And I want to priori- get my priorities right. And God, everything that you are, everything that you have is my priority. Yes. You're all I need. God, that's our heart's cry to you today. God, give us the the ability to be courageous leaders in this hour. Help us tear down the altar of Baal. God, help us contend for the faith. God, that we would not be looking to deconstruct the faith, but we would be looking to reinforce the faith. God, help us, Lord, that that we would expose the works of darkness, that we would not be afraid to speak up, but, God, we would be quick to say, no, that's not right, and I'm going to say so. And in its place, God, we would say, here's God's way. Help us not just know what we're against, God, but help us know what we're for. And Lord, help us to destroy the strongholds of the enemy. Where, God, we have allowed the enemy to come and get a foothold in our hearts and in our homes and, and anywhere in our lives, God. Lord, we pray, God, we're... We're not, we're not down for that. We are coming out of that agreement with that. God, help us destroy those things so those things do not become a stronghold in our life. And Lord, we want your presence to come and dwell. God, we want you. We want you. So come, so come. In Jesus' name we pray. And if you agree with that, shout amen. 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 amen.